have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to Exodus chapter 5? Our sermon series is entitled Circle of Influence. And everybody who has ever been anything for God always has a circle of people around them that has touched their life and made them who they are. Tonight we're once again looking at one of those who helped shape Moses into the man of God that he would become. And not always are these people what you would call positive influences. Sometimes a negative influence can be used by God to build up a man of God. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Moses and Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 5. Beginning with verse 1. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in. And they had an audience with Pharaoh. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh answered Moses and Aaron. And said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Now I want to pause there and say that is a that is filled with sarcasm. Okay? You can't see it in the English, it's just words. I'm telling you, it is dripping with contempt and with sarcasm. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not this Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. And Moses and Aaron said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go, we pray you, three days of journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilences or with the sword. And Pharaoh said to them, Wherefore do you, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works? Get back to the work that I've given you. We'll stop right there. An exchange took place that day. You might call it a showdown took place that day. I was thinking of another showdown. October 26, 1881, Tombstone, Arizona. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when four lawmen, three of them brothers, one of them a gambling partner, approached the OK Corral. The four lawmen, the three brothers, were Wyatt, Virgil, and Morgan Earp. Their gambling buddy who had been commissioned a deputy for the specific job that was about to be done, was Doc Holliday. These four lawmen approached the OK Corral, and waiting on them was a gang of cowboys made up of the McClory and Clanton brothers. A showdown is about to occur. And this showdown, that would later be called the gunfight at the OK Corral, made Old West history. Three of those gunfighters were shot dead 
others were wounded. When it was over, the Earp brothers were legends, as was Doc Holliday. They had secured their place in history. Tonight, there is another showdown that's about to occur. Those who participate in it are going to secure their place in history, particularly the Lord God of Israel and Moses. Now, the place of this showdown in the Bible is Ramesses, Egypt. Moses and Aaron go before the king of Egypt, who's actually the king of the world. Egypt rules the world. And they go to Pharaoh and they ask him, they make a request of him to release the Hebrews from slavery, to release the Hebrews from bondage in which they're held in Egypt. They explain to Pharaoh that this request that they're making, this askance that they're making, is not of themselves. They're just the Western Union boys bringing the message. The request, the askance, comes from God himself. And Pharaoh, the mightiest man in the world, who rules over the mightiest empire in the world, who has the mightiest army in the world of that day, looks at Moses, looks at Aaron, and says, Who is your God that I should listen to him? Do you not know who you're speaking to? I'm the king of the world. I have gods too. Your people are not going anywhere. In fact, all you're trying to do is give them a vacation. And I'm going to give them not only work to do, I'm going to give them more than they've ever imagined they will do. Your request is denied. He stamped no on it and threw it back in their face. In Exodus chapter 5, the battle lines have been drawn. A God fight's about to take place in Egypt. Moses versus Pharaoh. God versus Satan. Moses and Pharaoh are just proxies. The human instruments that will be used as the God of heaven squares off against the God with the little g of darkness. Let's look at that tonight, if we may. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 6. There's no way that we can go through every one of these chapters tonight, so I'm going to trust that you will read them on your own. But in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, I want us to begin tonight by seeing the promises that God had made to Moses. God made some promises to Moses that was going to set up all of this. Just like the gunfight at the OK Corral was, was based upon things that had happened in a bar and at a gambling table, what's about to happen here was set up by some promises that God had made to Moses. Exodus chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. 
I want you to notice the seven promises made. They begin with I will. Not I might. Not I could. Not I may be. This is a declarative statement by God. Seven declarative statements. Beginning with verse 6. Wherefore say I unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 8, I will bring you unto the land concerning that which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. Now the God of the Bible is a God of promise. Just about everything God does is based upon what God has said. What God says is what God does. And God can make promises. And God can guarantee those promises will be kept because God is wise and God is powerful. Let me back up. He's all wise and he's all powerful. He is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He can do anything he wants to do. And he told Moses, I'm giving you seven promises right now. I'm giving your people seven promises. These are the same promises that I gave to Abraham, that he gave to Isaac, that he gave to Jacob, that were given to Joseph. And I'm reaffirming them to you, lest you forget. I will bring you out from under Egyptian bondage. You're my sons and daughters. You're not slaves. I will, exclamation point, bring you out of Egyptian bondage. Secondly, I will set you free. My sons and daughters do not wear chains or shackles. I have come to set the captives free. Thirdly, I will redeem you with my power. I hold all power in heaven and earth in my hands. I will redeem you with the right hand of my power. Fourthly, I will take you to be my people. You will be my people. I will become your shepherd. You will be my sheep. I will be your king. You will be my followers. I will make you my people. I will be your God. Everybody else has gods, plural. I will be your God. I am the I am God. And I will be your God. I will bring you into a land of promise. I'm taking you out of Egypt. And I'm going to take you to a land of promise, to a land of milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a paradise. And it will be yours. And I will give it to you. 
Not just for today, not just for tomorrow, not just for a month or a year or a generation or a century. I will give it to you forever as a heritage that you can pass down to your children, to their children, to their children's children all the way. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the I am God of the Bible said to Moses. And when he made those seven statements, those seven promises, that set the stage for what took place and what was going to take place. Will those promises be kept? Will they be fulfilled? Or will someone or something thwart those promises and keep them from being fulfilled? That's the question. Are you listening to me now? Because I don't want you to miss it. Because if you catch this, you'll catch everything else that ever has happened in this world. God made seven specific promises that he was going to do for the Hebrew people, later for the nation of Israel. He made those promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Aaron, to all the people. This is what I am going to do for you. Exclamation point. Satan steps up and puts a question mark behind it and says, no, you won't. I'm going to make sure that you're a liar, God. It ain't going to happen. And now you see what everything going on in our world right now is all about. Can God deliver on his promises? Or will Satan thwart him? That's it. Will God deliver? Or will Satan thwart? So Satan has raised up individuals. He's raised up groups. He's raised up rulers and nations. He's raised up coalitions of nations. He's raised up empires. And you know what they're trying to do? Do you want to know what they're trying to do? It's very simple. Make God a what? A liar. He can't deliver the goods. I'm going to make God a liar and I'm going to use Russia to do it. I'm going to use Germany to do it. I'm going to use Iran to do it. I'm going to use all these multiple terrorist groups that are on the rampage to do it. I'm going to use a man by the name of Antichrist and his, cro and his cohort, the false prophet, to do it. And Satan says, if they can't do it, I'll do it myself. Now you see where the world's going. The showdown between Moses and Pharaoh was just the beginning of a continual, constant gunfight, God fight, if you will, that is transforming the ages. And it began right here, a showdown. Now, 
God's power is about to be seen. God's promises were made. Now God is going to back them up with a display of power. Now, I don't know how many shots were fired at the gunfight at the OK Corral. I know they had the shotgun. I know they had some, some repeat revolvers. I don't know all the different shots that were fired. But I can tell you how many shots were fired when God took on Satan. Moses took on Pharaoh. They were ten shots fired. And they were all by God. He's quick on the draw, ladies and gentlemen. And he emptied his weapon before Satan ever got his out. And God's shots are called the plagues. Because remember Pharaoh said, speaking for Satan, God, you're a liar. What you've said you're going to do is not going to happen. And I stand in your way. And God says, okay, I'll move you out of the way. And Pharaoh says, give me your best shot. Now what takes place in the ten plagues, and most of you have studied those before, what takes place is the God of heaven, the God of Moses, the I am God, taking on the gods of Egypt. This isn't just ten things that God dreamed up to throw against Pharaoh in Egypt. God was very specific, very systematic in what he's doing. What he's doing is saying, Pharaoh, line up your best gods you got, and I'm going to mow them down. I'm going to show you that the God of Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrews, is the only God. Capital G. All of yours are little gods with little g's. And what's the first thing he does? He turns the water into blood. Now the water turns into blood at a particular river called the, the Nile River. The Nile River was the lifeline of Egypt. And God in his first demonstration of power his first shot against the bow, you might say, is he turns the Nile River's waters into blood. Now this was a direct attack against the god of Egypt, whose name was Isaurus. He was the god of the Nile River. He was symbolized by the, the crocodile, which was worshipped. Isaurus was helpless to stop the I am God of heaven. He couldn't change back the water from blood. And then the second plague that came was the invasion of the frogs. That'd make a good movie today, wouldn't it? The invasion of the frogs. God flooded Egypt with frogs. Everywhere you went, you were stepping on a Green, slimy, mushy frog. And you step on a frog and you crush him, out comes all kind of things. Can you imagine getting up in the morning and stepping frog? Everywhere you go, there's frogs. Well, this wasn't just because God wanted to show he could do this. 
This was a direct attack against the goddess, the Egyptian goddess, Heck. What he was doing was showing that she could not take him on. And then came the invasion of the lice, the gnats, the flies, the lice came. And this was a direct attack against the earth god that the Egyptians worshipped named Seb. And then came the fourth plague. I jumped the gun just a moment ago. It was the flies that came forth. And these were desert flies. Any of you who have ever served in the desert know those flies are just plain aggravating. They never go away. They go in your nostrils, they go in your ears, they go in your eyes, they go in your mouth. Everywhere there's a hole, they go in it. And they burden you, bother you. You wish they'd just kill you. Get it over with. They slow death you. And God brought the flies, he brought the gnats. And this was once again a direct attack against the wife of Isis. Isaris. You know who Isaris was? Remember, that's the god of the Nile River. Well, he was married. You didn't know that, did you? And his wife was the one who was in charge of keeping back the pests, keeping back the little critters that bother you. And she couldn't do it. No more than he could guard the Nile River. And then the, the cattle got diseased. This was a direct attack by God against the god Apis, which was the sacred bull of Egypt. They used that bull figure in a lot of their worship. And then came the boils, a direct attack against the god Typhon. And then came the hailstorms, a direct attack against the god of the atmosphere of Egypt. Then came the locusts, Swarms of locusts eating everything in their path. This was a direct attack against Serpia, who was the god of defending Egypt against locusts. I mean, can you not see the humor in this? Pharaoh says, I have my gods. We'll take you on. So God says, okay, line them up. Ping, 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 ping. He knocks them over. Then God attacks the God of Egypt, who's the God of light. His name is Ra. And God attacks him by bringing darkness to the land. And then God puts the royal flush on the table, you might say. He pulls out both guns and shoots them all the barrels. He closes with the last plague, the death to the firstborn. All the firstborn who are not covered in the blood of the slain lamb, they will die. This was a direct attack against every god that Egypt had. Because Pharaoh called on all of the gods of Egypt, and they were over 3,000 to come together 
And God took them all on and beat every single one of them. Don't you like that display of power? Pharaoh said no. Moses said yes. Satan said no. God says yes. And the God fight began. And it's going on today. And it will go on until it's over. Now, when Satan sees that he's losing, he will always try to compromise. Because compromise is the first step in being defeated. And so Pharaoh, when he sees things are not going well, as the gunfight, the God fight unfolds, Pharaoh does throw out a few compromises. In chapter 8, verse 25, he says, I'll tell you what. I'll let you be free, but you have to be free in Egypt. You cannot leave. I will make you free citizens in Egypt, but you can't leave. And Moses says what? No. Then Pharaoh says, well, let's not be unreasonable. I'm going to let you leave, but you can't go real far out of Egypt. Okay? I'm going to let you leave, and you can go 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles, maybe even to the border, but you can't go far. Got to stay close, okay? I, I'm, why can't you take that? You can be free, stay right where you're at, or you can leave and go 20, 30 miles away. That's fine. We can work that out. And Moses says no. Pharaoh offers a third compromise. He said, you can leave, you adults can leave. All of you 18 and over, go. I don't care. But those of you that are 18 and under, you got to stay. In other words, split the family. And Moses says, no. Chapter 10, verse 24. Pharaoh says, well... I'll tell you what, I'm an easy guy to get along with. You can leave. All of you, the adults, can leave. All the teenagers can leave. All the children can leave. But you cannot take any of your wealth with you. Leave the gold, leave the silver, leave the sheep, leave the oxen. All your wealth has to stay with us. And you can go. And Moses says, no. Why should Moses compromise? He's holding a royal flush. And he's not going to get bluffed off the table. He's got two guns ablazing. They haven't even got a gun out. Why should he compromise? Now understand, these compromises isn't because Pharaoh suddenly likes the Hebrews or has a, some kind of desire for the God of the Hebrews. 
Pharaoh is being spoken to by Satan. Because Satan knows if he can get the compromise to take place, then the promises that God has made will be delayed and maybe even denied by his own people. And so Moses, speaking on behalf of God, says no to every compromise. It will be God's way or no way. Now, what did Moses learn from this? Because remember I said that Pharaoh is in the circle of influence around him. And sometimes those influences are positive and sometimes they're negative. Well, what did Pharaoh, uh, Moses learn? Well, I think he learned the power of God. I think he learned that his God was a big godder, not a little godder. Say, Pastor, that's not good English. No, but it's good theology. <laughs> he learned the power of his God. And his God was a big God, not a little small fry God. Moses witnessed firsthand that what his God said, his God would do. And he had the power to do it. He didn't have to negotiate. He didn't have to compromise. Just do what God says and God will do what he says. And Moses learned that day, during that God fight, the power of his God. Oh, to be that we would learn the power of our God. Most of us are little daughters. We look at God and we say, he can't do this. He can't do that. He won't do this. He won't do that. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'll take the compromise. Our God can do whatever he wants to do. If we'll just trust and obey and not get in the way and not settle for less and not compromise what we know is right. And Moses learned something else that day. The futility of trying to stand against God. You know, some of us are shaking our little fist at God. Who are you, God, to tell me what to do? Better be careful. Better be careful. God tells us what to do because he's God. Well, I told you in closing that one day all of this will be over. And that's where it's all going, ladies and gentlemen. The final stage of the God fight is about to take place. God, Israel, and the people of Israel and those who love God and those who love the nation and God, those who love those people are on one side. And the forces of darkness are on the other. God says, I will. Seven times, I will. And the other side says, he won't. And the battle is about to come to a climatic conclusion. It will take place at the end of the battle of Armageddon.
It will take place in the valley of Megiddo. It will take place when Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, leaves heaven and he comes from heaven on a white horse. Following behind him in white robes will be the saints of God, you and I. And we will be marching behind our King. We'll be singing victory in Jesus. Acapello. Or Acapulco if you want. But we will follow behind him as he descends, coming back to this world. And this world led by the unholy trinity, the demonic trio of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, joined by all of the rebellious nations and people of the world and all of the rebellious demons of hell, will all try to stop him. Because when he comes back, the promises he made are fulfilled. And they're going to try to stop him. Well, in Revelation chapter 19, you see the final stage of the God fight. I wish I could tell you it went on for a long time. Wish I could tell you it was worth watching. But if you blink your eye, you'll miss it. Because the God of heaven will speak but the word, and boom, it's over. The nations will be vanquished. The people of the world that have followed Satan will be vanquished. Their bodies will be eaten by the vultures. Their souls will go to hell. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be picked up alive and tossed into the lake of fire. And Satan will be cast into the pit and bound up for 1,000 years until he will be released, but just shortly, for one more plan that God has. God will keep his word, rest assured. Heavenly Father, maybe tonight somebody is here who's struggling just a little bit with situation or circumstance they're facing. They've forgotten the promises of God. They have forgotten the power of God. They've forgotten that they've won. May they be reminded tonight of such, I pray. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet, please?